Okay, so this is really awkward for me to say, but I mean to say this every single podcast episode that I've done, and I always forget. And I think part of it is because I do feel so awkward saying it, but here goes. If you guys enjoy this podcast, and um, yeah, if, if you like it, <laughs> this is so awkward. I would love it if you would leave a review and maybe subscribe. That way you can be made aware as to when new episodes drop and leave a rating, preferably a great one. So anyway, awkward moment over and out. Uh, the other day I shared with you one of my most favorite classroom management hacks, the Happy Sad Board. If you haven't had a moment to listen to that podcast episode, let me just tell you, it is, for me personally, the best classroom management tool ever. It's cheap. It's easy. I ain't consistent. I can't remember one day to the next, but this little thing I can keep up with. And I, you know, as I was working this week through my very first week of school, I started to look around my room and notice the other classroom management hacks that I use a lot and I love. So I'm going to share those with you today. These right here are my top 10 classroom management hacks. It's the little things that I wish I'd known when I first started teaching. You know, shoot, it's the little things that I wish I'd known just last week before my students came to school. And over the years, I've learned management hacks from colleagues, from other art teacher friends, and I've even managed to come up with a few of my own. And I've tried just about every one because I'm all about throwing everything at the wall just to see what sticks. So these right here, these top 10 that I'm going to share with you today, this is, after trying it all, what has stuck for me. So maybe you throw these things at the wall too. See if they work for you. Thang number one, tape on the floor. I know I've mentioned it before, but it bears repeating. I have so many taped lines on the floor of my room that it looks like a landing strip. The technical term for the tape that I use is actually called floor tape, and it's meant for just that, which means it won't leave a residue when it's pulled up, and it does pull up really easily. I have three places right now where I use floor tape, and it is a lifesaver. I have floor tape right outside my art room. It's a long line for my students to know where to stand. That line ends with a short line that runs perpendicular to it, creating a T. And this is where my line leader knows where to stop. This T is, ends at my door. And this way, when the door opens of my art room, nobody gets door whacked, hopefully. So they, they line up as they're coming down the hall, coming to art, and stop right there. The other place that I use floor tape in my room is I have a long line that continues inside my art room, and this is the line that my students follow as they walk in, and it's also the line where they line up right before they exit. It also has a T at the end of that line at my door, so my line leader knows where to line up to begin the line, and so also they don't get all the way up to the door or too close. 
I also have four lines of tape on the floor in front of my demonstration area, and those are the rows where my students come in and sit down as they enter. Now, I've also been known to lay tape in front of my area that I call the store. That's where my students go to gather supplies, and I do this so they understand which direction that they are to go supply gathering. I've also made arrows for traffic flow around my room. Basically, if you have a path you want your students to follow, floor tape is your best friend. Now, the only problem that I've found with floor tape is that small humans, they love to pick at things, their noses, their friends, and floor tape. So to prevent your floor tape from getting picked up, especially in the area, if you're going to put it on the floor where I do, like where your students are sitting on the floor, you might want to place um, a strip of clear packing tape on top. And this allows another layer of tape for the little fingers to pick at. It's more work but it will add to the lifespan of your floor tape, especially in your, your kind of seating, seating area, sitting area. You know what I'm talking about. Next up, my second favorite hack is my open and closed sign. This idea I got from another art teacher. And when I saw it in her art room and she told me what it was all about, I thought to myself, that is never going to work. But you know what? I thought I would try it anyway. The idea is pretty simple. You need to get you one of those open and close signs that you can see in shop windows. And I found mine for just a dollar at the Dollar Tree. When the sign says close, that means that my voice is on and I need my students to be listeners. They're not to speak out because when they do, I add a little mark on the sad side of the happy sad board and they are not to raise their hand. They're just listening. When the sign says open, then that means the floor is open to their questions, comments, and whatever randomness they decide to share. So here's an example of how it works in my room. When my students walk in, we say our greeting. Hello, my most amazing artist. Hello, my most amazing art teacher. How are you today? They say, ready to create. I know you know this. I've shared it before. Then we also jump right into our art class catchphrase where the students repeat this after me. I make messes, I make mistakes, but deep inside, I got what it takes. I am an artist. At that point, I flip the sign over to open while I add happy face lines to my board based on how well they entered my room and how well they're getting settled. Because my students walk in wanting to share with me, I open my floor up to those comments, but I only take three. That moment of chatting with my students gives them time to share and me time to get my supplies gathered and my art teacher in life together. And then, after just calling on three children who happen to have their hands raised, I flip my sign around to close and we get to the lesson at hand. Now, I do let the kids know that there is one exception to the no hand raising when they see the close sign, and that is in case of an emergency. What qualifies as an emergency? In my art room... If you are about to throw up, if you are bleeding, or if you are in need of a restroom ASAP, then those are an emergency. And if you are about to experience all three of those things or are experiencing all three of those things simultaneously, then that is definitely an emergency. I don't want nobody puking, peeing, and bleeding all at the same time up in my art room, okay? Otherwise, please kindly put your hand down and listen carefully. Here's the beauty of the open-close sign. 
If I'm talking and my sign says closed and a kid raises their hand, the other kids will like nudge him or signal to him and point to my sign. Or sometimes I'll just keep on talking and I just point to my sign, tapping the word closed, and then the kid will be like, oh, yeah, and put their hand down. No more interruptions during instructional time. No more stories about teeth falling out when we're talking about something completely unrelated. It's really a beautiful thing. Number three, I mentioned it just a moment ago, call and response. Oh my Lanta, what would I do without this management hack? I could teach art with nothing. No management hacks, no cutesy art room, not even much for art supplies aside from the basics, but I dare say I could not teach art very easily or happily without call and response. If you're not familiar with call and response, it's essentially just say and do whatever I say and do. I'm often asked, how do you introduce that to children? I'm also often asked, how do you get the kids to know when to stop repeating after you? Let me share. So just this week, I had kindergarten in my room for the very first time, and I told them I was going to clear my throat, and it was going to sound like this, and then they were to do the same. And whenever they hear me say, it's their signal to say and do whatever it is I say and do. When I'm in my speaking voice that they are to repeat after me, I'm really animated and I'm a little bit louder and a lot more exaggerated, kind of like what you're hearing right now, and I'm sure it's driving you nuts. This distinguishes my normal talking voice and the kids kind of get the hint. So the moment that I drop into my normal voice, the kids stop repeating after me. Yeah, The magic is the moment I stop speaking in that animated voice, the kids know to stop repeating. I don't have to give them a special signal or some sort of hand gesture, even though sometimes I want to. I just switch my voice back and they stop. Now, you will have some kids who will continue repeating because they think they're cute. But let me just tell you, you're the only cutie in the room. Okay. You just serve them up a hot and steamy slice of stank eye, and they'll stop. You're the only cute one. Got it? When do I use call and response? Oh, my goodness. Basically, when do I not use call and response? I use it all the flipping time. When we do our catchphrase, when I'm covering the rules, when I'm going over directions, when I can tell I'm losing them and I need to reel them back in with some silly, when I want to remind them of cleanup proteins, proteins, that's new. (laughs) It's when you drink prune juice and you're going over routines with children, proteins. Like I said, I use it all the time. If you've never tried it, it, I'm going to warn you, it's going to feel really weird, but you're going to get used to it. You're going to get better at it. The kids are going to love it. You are going to be amazed at how well it works. Hack number four, quiet critters. So this concept was introduced to me by an art teacher who I suggest you follow on Instagram, at Art with Mia. So it's another simple one. You get some cute little stuffed animals from the dollar store or the thrift store. Or better yet, make some cute little critters yourself, like I did with some glittery pom-poms and googly eyes, whatever randomness I could find in my storage closet. And then share these quiet critters with your kindergarten and first grade friends, because they're the most gullible. Here's what I do. 
I keep my quiet critters in a glass jar so the kids can see them, but more importantly, so the critters can see the kids. When they're working quietly, I bring out my jar of critters, I walk around with it, and my quiet critters, they whisper to me which tables are working the quietest because they have the tables that the critters want to visit. And when I plant a critter on the table, I remind the kids, y'all better not touch this quiet critter or she will lose her powers. She'll just, she's just going to sit here and watch you work quietly. However, if the table gets a little loud, she's going to let me know that she would rather visit another table or go back home to her jar. Look, I don't mind a chatty class as long as they're just talking to the kids at their table and they're kind of talking about their artwork. It's fine. However, kindergarten is usually my noisiest crew. They've not learned the fine art of speaking softly. They ain't got a whole lot going on when it comes to focus. You know why? Because we got to teach them such. And since we're the teacher, it's kind of on us. So when the noise level goes beyond my sanity and my ears start to bleed a little bit, I know it's time to share my quiet critters. Each one is named after a famous artist who I eventually introduce my kids to. But the magic is truly in how thick you lay on this whole quiet creator concept. Remember, silly sticks. Magic is real. If you place a quiet critter on their table and let them know just how special it is, it just might work. My other um, classroom management hack, number five, would be my attention getter chime. How many times am I going to tell you about this chime? About as many times as I use it in a day. Lots. I hate raising my voice to get the kids' attention. And while I can be a loud talker, I really don't have the lung power to raise my voice above the racket of children. I also really hate doing it because I've noticed that the louder I get, the louder the kids get. Remember... They're little bitty mirrors of us. And I've tried many attention getters in my time. I've tried the class class, yes, yes, that everybody's doing. I've done the whole I'll say Mona, you say Lisa thing, which never seems to work for me. But my attention getter chime, it's always done the trick. Full disclosure now, I use a chime created by my husband's company, Tree Works Chimes. He started making these chimes in his garage and was running a pretty slick little business out of his house when we first met many years ago. I'll never forget when I went over to his house for the first time and I saw plates on the floor around the parameter of the living room, each plate holding some aluminum bars for the chimes he was uh, making, each bar a different size, each plate was labeled. His kitchen... um, was the wood finishing room with the kitchen table filled with stacks of wood and staining rags. It's been pretty amazing to see what his company has become. So now, these days, you can buy the chime that I use. I actually have a couple of his chimes in my room, but the one that I use on the daily all the time is the TreeWorks Single Note Energy Chime. They run about 12 bucks. It's completely made in Nashville, Tennessee from walnut and aluminum, Um, handmade. In fact, if you get one, I can't get over it that they attach even a little tag where the person who created the chime is going to sign it. You can get these from a website called Sweetwater or um, 
you can just Google and do a little search that way. My husband also makes bar chimes, which is what a drummer plays, and I have one of those in my room. We use that as a part of our cleanup. But all that to say, that little chime cuts through the noise clutter. It's loud. It's high-pitched. It rings for a long time, and it makes a beautiful sound. And when I hit it, my students always stop what they're doing and look at me. That's the kind of attention getter that it is, and that's the kind that you want in your art room. Okay, so this hack I just started this week, and I can already tell I am loving it, setting alarms on my phone. I used to have a couple of timers in my room, and I really loved the timers that I have, but I would always forget to set them. Or if I remembered to set them, I could never get the accurate amount of time on my timer because we have all these clocks in our school and every last one of them is on a different time. Or even better, this has happened before, my battery dies in my timer. We completely lose track of time because of it. And next thing you know, we've got a rowdy class waiting outside my door and an irritated classroom teacher standing there too. So an art teacher friend of mine, my friend David, who's also on Instagram, at Disney Art Room, shared with me that he sets alarms on his phone. Y'all know I have 30-minute art classes, which is hard for me to keep up with, but these alarms really help. I even went as far as to set a five-minute time-to-clean-up alarm and then a we-need-to-be-out-the-door-right-now alarm. And since the time on my phone is accurate, I never have to worry that my watch is off or the clock in my room is too fast. I even told the kids that when they hear the first alarm, it's the signal that I'm about to start our cleanup routine. And they might as well be proactive and get a jump start. Let me tell you, if you are a person who is always late, like me, setting these alarms on your phone is a game changer. Just don't forget to turn them off over the weekend. Hack number seven is something at our school we call a zero up. So last year I was walking up to my PE teacher buddy who had just brought a herd of kids in from outside. They were all hot, stinky, and smelling like sunshine, as we say at our school. The kids were really excited and really loud, and she and I were trying to have a conversation. It was nearly impossible for us to hear, and it was then that she made an O with her hand, and then she raised her arm in the air. And suddenly, all of the kids made an O with their hand, raised their arm in the air, and they stood there silently facing her. And I was like, holy cow, what just happened? She said, it's our level zero. A signal that I make so all the kids know what to do. They are to have their volume at zero when they see me do this. Well, it wasn't long before the word got out that this was an amazing concept, and we all adopted it as our school signal. Now all of our students know what it means when a teacher raises a zero in the air. Sometimes I'll just say zero's up, and they pop them in the air, and they turn their voices off. We're supposed to have our students be silent in the hallway, and I'm always getting kids from P.E., or sending them on to PE from art. And when we do, we always have them walk at, quote, level zero with their zeros in the air. Another hack of mine that I love using for classroom management is having a microphone. I got a microphone last year, and it's been a real joy to have it in my art room. Here's when I use my microphone. 
when the noise is just too much and I need to cut through the clutter. For example, I had a classroom full of kindergartners for the very first time just this past week. And if you've ever taught kindergarten on the very first day of school, very first day of school, and had them in art, then you know they are all kinds of all over the place. They don't know the concept of raise your hand. They don't know how to speak softly. They don't know what's come. They don't know that coming up to you and, um, <laughs> oh my gosh, let me share this with you, and grabbing two fistful of your boobs isn't appropriate. Not that this happened to me, but this actually happened to a TA this week. Honk, honk. So sometimes you just got to out silly the silly and use a big old loud microphone to do just that. And I was able to get their attention, walk them loudly through my cleanup procedures without straining my voice or growing more gray hairs. I also use my microphone when I'm greeting my students and when I'm covering our art class catchphrase. It just kind of breaks up the sound of my voice a bit. I also really love reading chapter books and poems to my um, kids when they're working. Usually my older kids, I read the chapter books too. And I use my microphone, my microphone to add a little bit of, uh, just a little bit of variety, I guess, to my storytelling. And lastly, I tell my students to use my microphone when it's cleanup time. That's right. They get to use it and it's like an, a reward for them. They absolutely love it. And I'm going to share with you in a future podcast what my cleanup routine is all about. All right. So number nine hack, chapter books and poems. Since I just brought it up, let's talk about it. There are so many picture books that we read to our students that I'm not going to list them all here because I'm not actually talking about picture books. I'm talking about chapter books and books of poems. It all started a couple of years ago when I came across a Shel Silverstein book at the thrift store. And I loved it when teachers read his poems to us when I was in school. And when I opened that thrifted Shel Silverstein book, all those happy memories came back. And I thought, well, my students like these. Some of them, these poems, they don't have pictures. Regardless, I thought it was worth a shot. I read them, I read them now when my students are working, when we are lining up, when I have a couple of extra minutes, when we're sitting on the floor waiting for friends to join us. Shel Silverstein's poems are short, they're sweet, they're engaging, they're appropriate for all ages, they are thought-provoking, and they're just awesome. I cannot recommend them enough. Now, chapter books? I just love reading out loud. It's like seriously one of my favorite things to do. Ask my husband. I'm always asking him, hey, can I read something to you? No. <laughs> Bummer. So how are chapter books, though, like a part of classroom management? How could that possibly be a hack? Well, because you never know who you're going to reach. At the start of last year, I was really struggling with this one boy. He decided he didn't like art. He didn't enjoy the projects that we were working on. We really butted heads a lot. And then one day I told the kids that I was going to be reading to them a choose-your-own-adventure book. I loved those books when I was a kid, so I thought my students would too. 
And whenever we get to the part where the kids are to choose, we take a vote and then we keep reading. And this boy, he fell in love with this reading time. In fact, he asked to move his seat closer to me so he wouldn't miss a word that I was reading. His whole attitude toward art changed, and I could tell that he looked forward to this time. So like I said, you never know who you're going to reach when you try new things. And my last hack is my marble chart. Gosh, this one is a little bit difficult for me to explain. I'm going to try my best, but I think a visual is really going to help you grasp this concept. So I recently created a video where I'm visually sharing very quickly a lot of these hacks. So if you hop over to my YouTube channel, which has the clever name of Cassie Stevens, um, then you will be able to find a little bit of a visual for this hack. I call it the marble chart. Okay. You remember the happy sad board concept, right? Well, this the happy sad board holds the kids' behavior accountable as a group, as a class. I find that I sometimes need to hold the children accountable for their own individual behavior, and that's where this marble chart comes in. It's like a happy sad board for each child. It's a clipboard, and on the clipboard there are five rectangles of construction paper each representing the five different colors of tables in my art room. So because my tables are color-coordinated, there are five different colors of paper on the clipboard. There are four seats per table, and each one on, in my art room is numbered one through four. On the clipboard, there is a number one through four on each colorful rectangle representing those four seats. After I placed the five different colors of construction paper on my clipboard, I covered the paper on my clipboard with clear packing tape. And then I found a stash of flat-sided marbles in the florist section of the dollar store. On the flat side of the marble, I added a little dot of Velcro, a little round Velcro. And on the front, I drew the numbers one through four in puffy paint. So on the clipboard, I have two dots of Velcro per number. I know this is getting like you're like, Stevens, what? Trust me. I I'm getting there. Stay with me. Hang with me, y'all. And then I anchored all of the buttons or marbles to the clipboard with Velcro. So here's the idea, okay? All of the marbles as they stand on the clipboard are in their happy place, meaning that on the rectangle, they are at the top of the rectangle. So if you can imagine five different color of rectangles, each representing a different table with four marbles, one through four attached at the top of the rectangle with Velcro. If a student misbehaves, they get a warning. That's my first consequence. However, if the behavior continues, I may mark the happy sad board in hopes that a little peer pressure may persuade the offender to get in line. But if the behavior does not improve, I may, quote, lower their marble. And what that looks like is me taking the Velcroed marble from the top spot and lowering it to the bottom spot of the colorful rectangle where they sit. Now the marble is no longer happy, that flat marble is sad, and this lets the student know that I'm not playing around. Now from here, they know that they have an option. They can improve 
their offensive behavior and their marble gets moved back up to the happy spot and all is forgotten. Don't improve the behavior though. Time out will probably be the next step as will a chat with the classroom teacher. Trust me when I say you only got to lower a marble a couple of times before everybody gets the idea that you mean business. Again, Instagram, I know I popped a photo up. My blog, I have more details on this if you're like me and you need a visual. I tried to be so specific explaining this to you, but a visual is truly going to help. It's a very simple concept because simple is what I can deal with. Either they stay in the happy place and the majority of the time they do, or I lower that little button of that marble so that they understand that I need them to work on their behavior. Now remember, this, all these like hacks, this is just what works for me. Try it. Yum, I like it. But don't think that something is wrong with you if you don't like it. My methods are simple because that is the only thing I can have in my art room. With 30-minute classes back-to-back, with kids coming and going like crazy, I know myself. I know that if it's not simple, I ain't going to stick with it. Over the years, this is what I have found works best for me. This is what I have found that when I threw it at the wall, it actually stuck. So maybe it'll work for you too. Thank you guys for letting me share these hacks with you. Like I said, more details, visuals, and all that stuff on my blog and my YouTube channel. Thanks, guys.